Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Navigation system. Please say a command. On. Ignition. Powered. Seatbelts. Fastened. Shift, drive. Twin City sports fans, hold on tight. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios, this is the Ride with Royce. He's going the distance. He's going for speed. Nobody goes this far with coverage of yesterday's games. We came here for a mission. The ride has blanketed the NFL with many hills, four deep thoughts. And the coverage is now four deep. Four deep thoughts. Well, last week we had to try to fill the Manny Hill shoes. It just wasn't the same (laughs) for the traditional 4 o'clock on Monday, four deep thoughts from an NFL Sunday. Not from a Thursday, not from a Saturday night. Four deep thoughts from an NFL Sunday. And my goodness, was this an interesting NFL Sunday Thought number one, Manny Hill. All right. Now, before we play thought number one, I want to let you guys know and the listeners know, this is a very special WTF edition (laughs) of Manny's Four Deep Thoughts on an NFL Sunday. It was a WTF Sunday, wouldn't you say? Yes. As in, where's the football? Where's the... Where's the... uh, Where's the... Yep. Where's the sanity? It was a WW, uh, yeah, something. Anyway, okay, number one. Number one. It'll be a 43-yard attempt to try to tie this game. Extra point from Vinatieri, streaking back right, and it is good. (laughs) And we are tied at seven. A miraculous kick by Vinatieri. All tied on CBS. Okay. Chuck Pagano, uh-huh. you are three and nine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, granted, Vinatieri, probably the greatest kicker, greatest clutch kicker of all time. Mm-hmm. All right. He but nails the extra point. In a blizzard. In a blizzard. Okay. okay. So hats off to the greatest kicker ever. For okay. the, but Chuck Pagano, you're three and nine. Mm-hmm. You just scored a touchdown to make it seven to six in Buffalo. Go for Everybody's two. freezing to death. Yeah, go for two. Mm-hmm. Go for go go for the win. You're you're three and nine. It doesn't it it, it doesn't matter. I thought what, they did though. No, didn't they, they initially go for two and then they got penalized for it. And that's I think why they ended I think they kicking? did. I okay. think they did. But okay. still, but do it two. again. Yeah, yeah do go, it again. Go for two. You have you have nothing else to lose. You're not going to keep your job after the year. You're going to get fired. Did you guys see? By the way, I forget who whoever was the, the play-by-play doing the game. But Spiro Ditas, and it yeah. was it was CBS. So whoever was inside the booth with him, the the color commentator. But they said, if you're a Bills fan, 
You just sat through four quarters in a blizzard and however many minutes of overtime, and then Sean McDermott kicks a punt with one yard to go on the other side of the field. You should never attend a Bills game again. Yeah. But uh, now... So Venetary had to kick. Why? Why was it a miraculous extra point? I know it was a blizzard, but it wasn't from the normal distance. They, was, had, been they, had, they had been penalized because on the two point conversion. So, on the okay. two point conversion, and so then, they had to go and back then he did yards. miss a field goal that would have won the game. Yes, right? yes. Uh, After also. that, okay. and then Shady McCoy ran for a touchdown mm-hmm. for the Bills to win in overtime. So, uh, but that was as uh, that was as much snow as I've seen. On a football field. Oh my God! It was about at least a half a, a foot. Oh, yes, yeah. on the ground. Yeah, it was. It was, there was awful. Uh, the the who was the guy? Some guy made a fantastic catch in the blizzard, and the snow was up to his knees. When yeah, he made it. but the it best was... is you'd watch a punt, and it would just land. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the snow would go poof. Joe Webb, by the way, got some time yes, at quarterback for the Bills late in that game, and almost threw an interception that cost the Bills. I the game. believe I heard Jacoby Brissett was the first quarterback in the NFL since when uh, to not throw a pass in the first quarter. Yeah. Didn't throw a pass. Uh, yeah. They only threw one pass in the first half, I believe. Oof. Yeah. All right, number two. Okay. And now Kaiser in trouble. He's looking around. The ball is batted into the air. Is it intercepted? Josh Jones has the ball in his hands. And no signal given yet by the officials that it is an interception. And this is inexplainable to me. I don't know why in this situation you're just throwing the ball up for grabs. He panicked. That's a rookie <laughs> panic move by Deshaun Kaiser. I, I guess eventually the, the Browns are going to be the Browns, right? Yes. I mean, that the Browns had a 21-7 lead against the Packers mm-hmm. at home in the fourth quarter. Green Bay comes back and wins it in overtime. But Deshaun Kaiser, <laughs> third and two. You're under pressure. T- take the sack. Mm-hmm. Take the sack. What are you? Do? He just chucks the ball in the air. Now his hand got hit as he threw it. Yeah, but he kept. But, but he wasn't throwing it to anybody. Yeah, anyway. he was just throwing up a prayer, and it gets picked off by the Packers, and then they go on to win. But I'm like, what? What are you doing? What is wrong with you? What are you doing? I love the fact that the Packer fans are all excited. Aaron's coming back, and and uh, we got this great win. It was against the Browns, and you were behind twenty-one to seven. Yeah. The uh, congratulations to the Browns, by the way. There <laughs> was there was a danger there. It was oh, they, were, they were in danger of winning, of winning a game. Yeah. Yes, it would have ended the imperfect season. <laughs> Best was, tweet ever was Black Adam Schefter. Browns mm-hmm. gonna brown. Well, you know, I would have so I would have loved to have been writing that column from the Browns. Oh angle, my god! I would, have, I would have written the triumph of losing fans know? on the edge yeah. of their seat. It's kind of like when Burt gave up fifty, right? <laughs> Burt gave up fifty that year, and he and he'd had a streak of like nineteen or twenty games in a row. Yes, and he almost it, he was in the eighth inning and hadn't given one up, and some guy hit a pop fly and it, it fell down behind the plexiglass and just climbed down the back. And I wrote, what a wonderful, you know, I wrote about the tension in the ballpark. And then and finally, Joe Burt came through and gave up the home run. It was one of my favorite cops ever. The next day, he told me he didn't like me anymore. <laughs> he never liked me anyway, but he really didn't like me after that. But I said, you know, Burt, I knew you were going to say that, but I couldn't resist. Sorry. All right, number three. They're looking at good field position, and here they come again. Pressure on Savage, and off the back foot has to get rid of it in a hurry. The pass is incomplete. Look at Savage, too. He's driven into the turf, and 
Oh, that's, look at him, look at him. Now that hurts. But anytime I see this with the stiffness and see the hand shaking, that is a potential concussion. Let's see the back of the helmet. See how it hits right there yeah. on the turf? They're talking to him now. Then he comes. Yes, and go ahead. Tom Savage takes a hit in the second quarter against the 49ers. Almost and Tommy Kramer's it. He gets a little shaky, oh right? My God. Yeah, and yeah. he's got his hands up like this, and, and he's just... It, it's a really disturbing sight. And then he goes back into the five game. Five plays later, right? Yeah, five it was like five, five or six plays later. How does, he's back in the game. How does Bill, inexplicable. How does Bill O'Brien not lose his job over this? The guy was in real trouble on the field. I mean, his hands were shaking. Well, O'Brien said he didn't uh, today. He said he didn't know. He didn't really see the play. And they were. he went through protocol. And somebody, the guy who's losing his job was whoever on the sideline said, yeah, sure. go put him back in the game. Go get him, kid. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. All right, here's number four. And There's the a best. What's I that? Hope, I hope this is the best one, but go ahead. Yeah. There's a Jacksonville fan <laughs> yes. going at Jefferson, and you don't want to get – there's security there. You don't want them to get involved. Now, he's been ejected. He should be headed to the to the locker room. Now, they need to get somebody from the Seattle staff yep. to so, walk Quentin Jefferson into the locker room. And, and look, somebody threw something at him from the stands and it landed at security needs yeah, security <laughs> needs to take care of this to make sure fans should not throw things. Those fans will be ejected from this stadium and from an NFL stadium if they track them down. Uh, well, they, they didn't do a very good job of describing the fact Quentin was trying to crawl in the stands. Yeah, this was very close to being Malice at the Palace Part yeah. 2. <laughs> yes. But uh, yeah, football fans, when they start yeah. consuming a little bit of alcohol, man, they just, mm -hmm. they, it's its unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I, I just don't know. What what do these people think they're going to gain by throwing something at a player, they, directly yeah, at a player? Drunk. They're drunk and they're idiots and you're the enemy and it's the gladiators and the whole deal. But I suppose the NFL is going to slap Quentin Jefferson with Probably. a big suspension. Because he got himself ejected from the game yes. anyway. Well, do we know why? What did he do it was, to get well, ejected? Michael was involved in the scrum before that. Yeah, yeah. The, the Jaguars yeah, know, were in. He didn't, he didn't look like he did anything that nobody, anybody else did. Well, it was in the closing few yeah, seconds, know, and that's why he got ejected. He, he, dove he, at do? the, he, do, he dove at the feet, which is what Bennett did. Okay. And then after that, there was a scuffle amongst the players, and yeah. that's why he and got Michael ejected. Michael Bennett, you know, he's got to stop this post-game stuff, getting mad every time they lose. Getting himself involved and stuff. He's got to. He's got to cut. He that has out. made himself a little bit unlikable. Yeah. Years ago, and I want to like him. I years too. ago, I mean, years ago, old Soldier Field, uh, the Bears stunk. Uh, the Vikings had kicked the hell out of them, and the media. We were just walking up the tunnel with the players. Remember Noah Jackson? Mm -hmm. He weighed about three and a half bills, offensive <laughs> lineman, and they were pouring down the profanity on him. And he stopped, and he made some death threats to these guys. And <laughs> all of a sudden, they got a little less mouthy because they thought, what if he figures out a way to get up here? We're in He's trouble. kill me. And I said, get him, Noah. <laughs> but, uh, he, didn't, uh, he didn't do it. But anyway. All right. Four deep thoughts from Manny Hill. We'll be back. Talk a little bit about Jack Morris going into the Hall of Fame. And I certainly have to acknowledge so many people that helped me be able to sit here today and give thanks. Teammates, coaches, mentors, opposition. It's, it's all part of the, the reason we're here and to be able to celebrate.
I'm especially proud to go in with my friend and the guy who helped define who I was. It doesn't get any better for me. Jack, a little emotional, and I uh, talked to a friend of his yesterday who said he was out and out crying when he talked to him uh, yesterday, so it was... uh, You could tell it meant a lot to him watching that press conference today. Oh, yeah. Well, it meant a lot to him uh, yesterday. Jack uh, Morris has made the Hall of Fame, becomes the third uh, member of the great uh, St. Paul uh, triumvirate. Uh, I I think it's just astounding. I wrote about this today. David Winfield, mm-hmm. 1969 graduate of St. Paul Central, uh, and then a Hall of Fame inductee in 2001. Paul Molitor, 1974 graduate of Creighton High School, and lived about five blocks away from where Winnie's house was. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hall of Fame inductee, 2004. And Jack Morris, Highland Park High School graduate, 1973, and now a Hall of Fame inductee in 2018. That's incredible. In Highland, he lived about three, three, four miles from uh, where uh, where Molitor and Winnie grew up to. Molitor and Winnie, not together, but they played on the same Legion Club team, Addicts Brooks. <laughs> and uh, how'd you like to be an opposing pitcher? Yeah, facing well, they, those they guys. didn't play together. You know, Winnie played. And that's then true. Molly, yeah, that's true. Molly came along later, but. Same Legion Club. Same Legion Club. Addicts Brooks. And uh, Jack played against Paul when he was at Christie Park. And uh, so uh, it's it's amazing. I remember Uberoth, uh, when, when the, uh, when the uh, All-Star game was tell, held here in 85, mm-hmm. and all three of those guys were Made on the it, American yeah. League team. I think it was the only time they were all on it together. Because Paul didn't really make that many All Star games, which is amazing. Oh, really? Well, you know, you know the Brewers when they weren't winning, they have one. They guy don't have to send be, one guy. Be yep. Robin, and uh, but the there were there had been a big deal about St. Paul trying to get in on the action, and the NBC was going to have the Today Show down at Landers Landwehr's Landing there, mm-hmm. and the St. Minneapolis raised hell, and they moved it, and. They basically, then there was some thought that the National League team might stay in St. Paul because the Dodgers had been the farm club way back. They they tried that in the 65 World Series, and it worked, and there was some thought. But anyway, St. Paul got cut out of the action completely, and I was working in St. Paul then, and Uberoth was having a little press conference up in this suite before the home run derby, and uh, he asked, uh, anyone here from my, there was like 10 of us there. And he said, anybody here from out of town? And I said, yeah, me, St. Paul. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, and but then I was able to write, you know, Minneapolis is represented by, you know, I mentioned some haughty, toddy, big cigars and politicians and. And then I wrote, all St. Paul's got going for him is Oxford Playground. And they are representing, you know, Oxford Playground and Linwood Playground and all, you know, that these guys played for. But uh, I was looking something up. I was, you know, I went in yesterday anticipating that Jack might make it and went through uh, stuff that uh, uh, I'd written on Jack through the years to remind myself, give me something to write about. And uh, I ran across a column I wrote on October 30th, 1991, so three days after they won the championship, mm-hmm. right? And for some reason, I got onto this premise that if to win the World Series, you needed two Hall of Famers. You know? And okay. then, then I looked it up, and from 61, the 
I only went back to 61, but from 61 to 80, uh, now they weren't all in already, but, uh, you know, like I, every team had at least two Hall of Famers. So my premise became uh, with the 1991 Twins, uh, we had two future Hall of Famers. Puck and Jack. Back Puck and Jack. Yeah. So anyway, what is written here is when the Twins returned from Atlanta, trailing three to two, the future occupants of the Cooperstown plaque room provided the victories. Puckett's 11th inning home run won game six, and Morris's 10 inning shutout won game seven. Now this is 1991, okay? And then I uh, I uh, put in the plaque descriptions that they had. The, there's nothing more poetic than the plaques in Cooperstown because mm-hmm. they 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 use adjectives. Yes, and they uh, Harmon Killebrew, 1984, muscular slugger with monumental home run and RBI success. His 573 home runs over 20. Two years, ranked fifth all-time and second only to Ruth among AL hitters. Tider led the AL in home runs six times, blah, blah, blah. Harmon Killebrew, a batting wizard who line chopped and bunted his way to 3,000. Uh, uh, Rod Crew, I mean. Batting wizard who line chopped and bunted his way to 3,053 hits. Seven batting titles surpassed only by Cobb and Wagner. Used a variety of relaxed crouch batting stances. Uh, blah, blah, blah. So then I wrote a pers- uh, an inscription that Puck could be used for Puck, right? Because we knew in 91. Did you know in 91 he was going? Well, I was hopeful. Sure. Uh, I didn't know what would become of him, but uh, my inscription offered in 1991 was Puck, stocky, powerful center fielder who compiled more than 2,500 hits during his... Now, he didn't have he it. He didn't there. get there. I, I was, yeah. I was, I was uh, uh, projecting... Career-long stardom in Minnesota, known for instinctive ability to make correct decisions on bases or in field. From 1986-89, batted 339 with 879 hits, 92 home runs, 401 RBIs. Led the Twins to two World Series titles, 1987-91. Hit four home runs for the, in the 1991 postseason. Named ACLS MVP. Won half dozen gold gloves for fielding. And then my Jack won. Uh, this was my 1991 What It Will Say on Jack Morris's Plot of Fame play. Mm-hmm. Glowering workhorse pitcher known for forkball and competitive spirit. Won 156 games from 1980 through 88 and considered the pitcher of the decade. Won 20 games twice, including 1983 when he pitched 293 and two-thirds innings. Oh, my God. 4-0 in two World Series, MVP in 1991 Series, pitching historic 10-inning shutout to win Game 7. I say it stands uh, 26 <laughs> years later as a pretty good inscription. You know what else? Jack's... Uh, Jack's Hall of Fame play. To steal your line, damn, you were good. <laughs> yeah, I was. <laughs> you know, I would never take the time in these advanced years to look up how many Hall of Famers they had for 20 years. That's right. Yeah. So, anyway, I do like the fact that I think Jack's plaque needs a glowering in it. Oh, yeah. Oh, because that was his skull. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's right. That was his intimidating well, stance on the I mound. Absolutely. I forgot that. I'm reading stuff. It was fun reading stuff again because my column after he won game seven pointed and you're writing it as the game's progressing sure. because you're on deadline. It's a Sunday night. And 
he Denkinger had the plate. Denkinger mm -hmm. had the plate. And he glared at him on two of the first three pitches. <laughs> he, he of the game? Yeah. Yes, oh, of yeah. the game. He stared him down on two of the first three pitches. Because, he, <laughs> you know, he called one a strike, and then he jacked through two that he thought were strikes, and he gave it, He gave him the glare on the first batter he faced. But I love, you know, there is – because when you're talking about that too, Pat, because I know – I remember there was a piece done on him, and I think it was – when MLB sat down with both him and Smoltz for that kind of yes. best games of the whatever. Yep, yep. And I remember him saying, I knew I needed to throw more off-speed stuff early in that yeah. game, knowing that I needed to reserve enough firepower to last the whole game. And I thought, my God, is that a cerebral approach to when pitching? When did uh, Smoltz left in the eighth, right? Pretty good for yes, a kid. He went, I think he, he went, went seven eight and a third. I yeah, thought he went like, seven and a third, like that, yeah. seven and two-thirds, something like that. But uh, anyway, uh, Jack uh, Morris is in the Hall of Fame. And uh, the the wins don't matter crowd, uh, which uh, drives me crazy. You got to look at the era. I, I admit that wins don't mean what they used to when you're taking pitchers out after six and a third. Right. But when you pitch 293 innings, when you complete one third of your starts, that means wins something. matter. Yes, yes, absolutely. they do. Uh, we uh, shall uh, be uh, back. Uh, this is the ride with Racy. The great Jack Morse uh, is in the Hall of Fame. Uh, we expect to be talking to uh, Jack Morris around 440, so here is John Height with a sports update. Thank you, Patrick. This update sponsored by Panera Bread. Get a Panera Bread gift card this holiday season. For every $50 in gift cards purchased, you'll get a $10 bonus card. For more details, visit your local bakery cafe. Vikings coach Mike Zimmer talked with reporters today. Uh, talked, of course, about yesterday's loss to the Panthers. Uh, in that game, offensive lineman Riley Reef was hurt today. Uh, Zimmer was asked, I believe, by our buddy Ben Gessling about how Reef was doing. Uh, it's, it's a lot better than he thought it was going to be. I, I assume that means it's not broken. No, it's not broken. That's right. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I mean, a sprain or a strain? Did you say? <laughs> um. I mean, you and you can call anything a sprain. Sure. So yep, yep. Whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah, he was mad that he was mad that Reef's injured. Injured, so he was uh, therefore not going to take the questions well. So. Yeah, he had uh, one also. I'll, uh, next hour, bring in the one about Case Keenum. That one was also answered well. Curtly, Curtly, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. He's uh, good at Kurt. Uh -huh. He can handle Kurt when they lose, man. Zimmer told reporters he'll have a better idea later in the week as to who will be healthy enough to play this Sunday. Vikings play the Bengals at U.S. Bank Stadium. Uh, they're now the number two seed, the NFC, the Eagles. Well, that went over the Rams for the number one seed. However, today it was confirmed by the team that MVP candidate Carson Wentz suffered a torn ACL in his left knee, and he will miss the rest of this season. Boo! Some very unhappy people in my yes, home state. Yes, they are. They were they were going to root, be rooting for the Eagles instead of the Vikings in the NFC title game. <laughs> Gopher men's basketball team tries to get back on the winning track tonight. They're at home against Drake. Uh, the Gophers, with those recent losses, are now out of the Associated Press Top 25 that came out today. That should make Patino happy. He was very upset at the high ranking his team had there. So. <laughs> Uh, no uh, football. One other NFL note: uh, the you guys were talking about the Jacksonville Seattle game. Yes. Uh, no Seattle Seahawks players will be suspended for their actions at the end of Sunday's game wow. against the Jaguars. Really? Well, that's what the league official told ESPN's Adam Schefter. Because of the beer being thrown and, uh, and the like. 
They uh, apparently are still reviewing it, but he said uh, nobody will be suspected, including Michael Bennett. I I thought Bennett Mm -hmm. may end up with uh, something there. The episode occurred during a heated finish to that victory over the Seahawks, the Jaguars' victory. It included fights on consecutive plays as Jacksonville was kneeling to run out the clock, and Seattle's defensive linemen continued their rush at full strength and, in (laughs) fact, fell to the ground. What a bunch of jackasses. <laughs> Are you wow. kidding me? So, wait, so these guys' offense go to a knee and defense just keeps plowing in? Right. Well, they, they actually, what a bunch at, of creeps. Kenny, one guy actually dove at Submarine the leg. At the guy? Yeah, Michael, it was Michael, Michael Bennett, Bennett, I think. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, oh, my tough. word. Yeah, well, it's, we don't play it that way here in Minnesota. We're, we're clean <laughs> and not I mind up seeing there. that, actually. I'd probably pay for that kind of crap. <laughs> All right. Thanks, John. You Jack Morris when we get back. <laughs> Heads up that uh, Jack Morris will be calling here uh, momentarily. Uh, meantime, uh, two members of that uh, fantastic uh, Detroit Tigers era, Going in together, Jack Morris and the great shortstop Alan Trammell, Mr. Consistency, 1984, gents, uh, the year they won the World Series. Over the Padres, right? Uh, yes, mm-hmm. in, in five games. But uh, that team started the season 35-5. and five. Uh-huh. <laughs> 35-5. and five. They were loaded everywhere. And, of course, they had the great announcer, Ernie Harwell. And this was back when the only way you could follow out-of-town baseball was on AM radio, right? Sure, yeah. And I remember they were in Seattle the night they went 35-5, and five, and Ernie said, Ernie's uh, tribute was, what a ball club. And uh, that's what it uh, was. Um, Jack Morris is with us. Congratulations, sir. Patrick, I appreciate it, man. Uh, what a journey, but uh, what a good time to, to celebrate, and I want everybody to celebrate with me. What a miracle of geography. It is finally complete, sir. The uh, three lads from the 70s in St. Paul are now all Hall of Famers. Amazing! It really is. It's remarkable <laughs> that uh, in, a, in a town that is not exactly nationally known for baseball, that that we could all do that, and uh, I'm so proud of the other two guys. I hope they're proud of me now. I think they are, um, and it is it is a remarkable thing. And you had to work harder for it, just like you had to work harder to get the Hall of Fame. Those guys were so damn good, they just walked into the Hall of Fame. You worked at it. <laughs> yeah, they didn't know what pitching was. You know, it's so easy. <laughs> Uh, it is great. Now, you got to see Molly uh, yesterday uh, go up to the Twins suite there and to see him, and you competed against him in Legion Ball. It, that's got to be a fantastic hug it out when you see a guy like that after you've been voted in. Huh? I can't say enough about what a class guy Paul has become and how he handled even that simple thing last night. It was so, so appreciative, and, uh, you know, he, I know, I know him. I know him well. And I know he meant it, and it really was such a good moment. It was total class. Yes, and uh, Jack, uh, you go in, and here's what's amazing. You go in with Trammell, and I heard you talking about it this morning, and it was pretty emotional. uh, Because Trammell, let's face it, Trammell wasn't quite as outwardly as grumpy as you are. He had a little different uh, exterior than you did. Yeah, he, he wasn't quite as strong, so Kirk Gibson and I tried to reflect all the crap.
flap so that Trammell and, and Lou didn't have to put up with it. Yeah, well, you did a good job of that. I always said, I think I told you this a couple of times, uh, the one great year you were here, you were the greatest winner I've ever been around. You could accept winning better than anybody, but you were a, some, you were hard to get along with after a loss. I always said that. Everybody, I, I got, I've got a simple explanation for this, and, it, and here it is. Show me a winner, and I'll show you a winner. Show me a loser, and I'll show you a loser. <laughs> that's right. But people talk about somebody being a good loser. You were not that. That's for that's for dang sure. No. Hey, when, uh, uh, you know, you had Sparky and uh, uh, just a different guy, but you you guys all, I'm sure you had your moments with him, but you guys all seem to love him. Oh, no question about it. He was, he was our mentor. He taught us. He had a plan. We didn't understand his plan a lot of the time. <laughs> But he, he knew what he was doing, and it was a different approach. Trust me. He was Sometimes we wonder if he had a brain in his head, uh, but he knew what he was doing, and we all learned to appreciate it because he loved baseball, and he made us respect the uniform and all the right reasons that you would want a guy to, to run the ship. Hey, Jack, uh, who, where did the forkball start? Where did that come from? Uh, in the bullpen, when I was with the Tigers uh, in the early 80s, uh, Note Wilcox and I were teammates, and he had pitched with Bruce Suter in Chicago, and Suter was known for his split finger. And, and uh, Milt asked me if I ever threw it. I didn't know what it was. And we were, I was out in the bullpen throwing on the side one day. It, it was out in Oakland, California. And he showed me how Suter threw it. And he said, try this. You know, you got big hands, big, wide, long fingers. Try this. And I threw about 10 in a row, and it didn't work, and I couldn't get my fingers through the ball properly. So, well, put your thumb on the side and try it. I threw about two, and the third one, the ball just exploded straight down. And I lit up like a Christmas tree, and I said, this is like cheating. This is like stealing. And I, there is no way any human being that ever lived could hit this pitch if I learned it. And I was throwing it in the game two days later. And two uh, days later. were you looking for an extra pitch then, or was this just, uh, you know, was this something you needed or just gave you a little more ammunition? No, I needed it because my slider had flattened out and wasn't effective anymore. It made my fastball so much harder to be a put-away pitch. So I needed that put-away pitch. I needed that strike-three pitch. Uh, I need that keep-em-honest pitch, and that's what the fourth ball became for me. Uh, you spent all that time in Detroit, of course. Uh, I, I had the numbers today in a column about how much of your career is Detroit. But uh, uh, you, you're kind of a Minnesota boy at heart. We've had you, uh, you know, you've hung around here more than you have Detroit since you uh, retired. You know, I'm in, a, I'm in kind of a little pickle right now, and uh, I'm glad I don't decide. But, you know, Pat, I, pay, I played 13 years with Detroit. I yeah, played once with be. Twins. you got to be a tiger. Yeah, and I and I, Dave St. Peter and, and I know the Follett Follett family have welcomed me into their organization with open arms, and I I love and appreciate them for that. And I'm proud of playing for the Twins, and I love Minnesota. I'm a Minnesota kid. Uh, you know, I disappoint Michigan and Tiger fans if I didn't wear the English D. And I I kind of honestly say I enjoyed and was proud of every moment I I spent in Toronto. So. You know, it's not an easy thought. You know, I, I don't want to. I don't want to make anybody mad, but I'm just honored to play for all of them. 
Hey, Jack. Uh, Jack Morris is with us. Jack, everybody, the the modern stat guys like to talk about how wins aren't important. And I say, okay, you can say all that you want to about guys pitching five and a third. But uh, when you were pitching 290, 250 to 290 innings, that was your game to win or lose. Wins were important. I got I got bonuses for wins. <laughs> I got bonuses for innings pitched. I got bonuses for complete games. Nobody ever gave me a bonus for an earned run average or a good whip. So you know what? That's the way it was back then, and and I'm glad and proud proud of what that meant to me. Wins are important. That's why you play the game. You know, it's not baseball has become nothing but numbers. All right. Yes. And I've always said it's not about numbers. It's about letters. A W and an L. <laughs> I like that one, and uh, that's it. So uh, the the. Uh, this committee, uh, I talked to Molly yesterday, and the it didn't hurt to have uh, three or four guys you that actually tried to hit against you on that committee. I would think the veterans committee. Well, you know, I I knew there was guys in my corner, and I've had such tremendous uh, support from a lot of the Hall of Famers who kept telling me to keep my chin up because I deserve to be with them. But you never know. When you're kind of put into a room like they were yesterday, it's almost like being in a jury. You got to hammer it out and come out with a verdict. <laughs> yeah. And you never know. You never know if somebody's going to convince the other guy and turn on you. So, you know, I didn't know. I had no clue that it would happen. Hey, one thing I was going through was some of the stuff I've written through the years uh, uh, on you, and uh, I came across something I wrote on October 30th about how the Twins had two Hall of Famers on this club, Jack Morris and Kirby Puckett. Tell me about what that fat little guy meant to you your one year in Minnesota. Well, you know, Puck, Puck, was, uh, Puck was all heart. He played the game. He, he, he played the game the way everybody should play the game. He knew his role. He knew he was he knew he was the star in the face of the franchise. But he ran out every ground ball. He ran out every fly ball. He never ever showed that he didn't care and he he set an example for everybody on the field. He played the game the right way. He played with heart. You know, we always laugh and tease about being in the trenches. He's the guy you want to go to the war with cuz he'll get in the trench with you and do everything he can to help you win. Uh, Jack, uh, congratulations again, sir, and uh, hope to run into you soon. Uh, Hall of Famer Jack Morris, thank you, sir. God, it's got a good ring, Pat. Thanks so much. <laughs> All right, sir. Uh, Jack Morris, uh, fantastic, and uh, you know, it's got to be a. You know, that's why you. That's why you played, right? Innings wins. You know, and you mentioned it during the interview too, Patrick, with the Veterans Committee, because this was the first year with this with this the, committee, this yeah. this particular committee too. And you wonder how going forward with with so many different layers of allegations and whatnot, how how different now the voting is going to be going forward with this Veterans Committee. And there's it, there's still some guys on there. A lot of uh, support for Ted Simmons as a catcher. Yeah. Uh, I think Lou Whitaker will end up on the ballot next time sure. around because he was every bit the player that uh, Trammell was. Uh, that Tiger team, they only won one World Series. They're like the Vikings. From if the, they'd yeah, won a right. couple of those Super Bowls, if that team had won another World Series, there'd be about four of them in the Hall of Fame instead of uh, Jack and now Trammell. That was a fantastic yeah. baseball team. Uh, all right. Uh, we uh, appreciate Jack Morris checking in with us. And uh, I think we know who's going to throw out the first ball at the uh, Twins opener this year. Jack Morris. Quiet, please. We'll be on the air. And now, this day in history. Patrick. Down from the 
Those are two good big punches, punches by Berger. Big punches. The biggest of the fight. Ten seconds. Latino knocked out now. It's all over. What a fight. Tremendous fight. It's a tremendous Very good fight. Unanimous decision for Trevor Burbick. Well, there you have it. Trevor Burbick is a unanimous decision. Uh, I don't remember it as a tremendous fight. The last fight of uh, Muhammad Ali's career it's on this sad, day actually. in 1981. It was sad to see the, uh, uh, you know, one of our heroes of uh, athletics uh, uh, have to have to go to Nassau, the Bahamas, and Queen Elizabeth Sports Center to have the last fight of his career against Trevor Burbick. He was 39 at the time. And uh, was fantastic, of course. And he had won the fight against George Foreman in Zaire in 1974 to, after he had, uh, uh, you know, returned to the ring. And that was uh, greatest. And he regained the crown again in 1978. But uh, he took the beating from Larry Holmes in October 1980. Larry Holmes was crying his former sparring mate as he beat him up yeah. and stopped him in the 11th round. Ali, I don't think he was as careful with his money as a fella should have been because he then had to go fight Trevor Burbick on this day in 1981, the end of the line for Muhammad Ali. Uh, but I never really thought that he was the same after the uh, thriller in Manila. He uh, he had those three gruesome fights with Fraser and the uh, 12-rounder in the heat in Manila was just, Neither of those guys was the same after that fight. It was just, it just you know, took that much oh, out of him. Oh, man, it was, it was, it was vicious and it was just exhausting. And um, they both were getting up there in years when they had that fight. What were they making for a fight back then? Do you think? Oh, you know the numbers you hear are always phony anyway. Sure, but I suppose yeah. five a piece maybe for the filler, filler okay. in Manila. So, or Muhammad always got more, I'm sure, but. Uh, I think Muhammad had a lot of guys stealing his money, too. <laughs> I would imagine so. Mm -hmm. But uh, anyway, uh, December 11, 1981, Muhammad Ali uh, loses to Trevor Burbick and then retires from boxing. Uh, and it is amazing. By then, we all loved him. You guys had to go back to the mid-60s and the old uh, Cassius Clay, uh, Muhammad Ali thing to realize how much racism he faced in this country. Mm -hmm. All right, we'll be back. <laughs>